It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As a kid growing up in the aquarium hobby, I remember how incredible it was to see this enormous array of fishes that were available. And if I had to select one fish that pretty much got me into the hobby, believe it or not, it'd have to be the Kuliloch, Pangio Kuliai. It was exotic, it was fun, and it was everything I felt a tropical fish should be. And quite frankly, it was the first example of a fish that I collected, which hadn't, I didn't have you know, a damn clue on how really to keep it correctly. I mean, it wasn't the last, but it was definitely the first. By some miracle, uh, many of my coolies survived for years, despite my ineptitude. In, in recent years, of course, I've come to really understand that this fish more by studying not only the fish and its ecological adaptations, but by studying the natural environment from which it comes from as well. And in case you've been truly living under a rock and don't know much about this fish, it's, fish, it's a slender, almost eel-like fish with largely nocturnal habits and enduring behaviors. They top out at around four inches, 10 centimeters or so. So they're pretty well suited for modest sized aquariums. Now, although they look superficially like eels, they're most definitely not. Uh, just in case you're not aware, eels have a fused pelvic, anal, and caudal fin structure. Coolie loaches have distinct pelvic fins in their dorsal, caudal, and anal fins are distinct and separate. Now, we also tend to call these fish scaleless because they have really small, widely spaced scales, giving them the appearance of being scaleless. That being said, they're a bit sensitive to medications and such, much in the way truly scale fishes are. So you should use caution when exposing them to medications or salt, stuff like that. Now, we probably know this. This is nothing new here. This is also, though, another reason why you should keep them in aquariums with softer substrates like sand or mixed botanical substrates, for example. This is where it gets interesting to me. Not only will this help prevent injuries, which may lead to infections, it more accurately replicates the substrates found in the wild habitats from which they come. And which I believe we should be replicating when we keep these unique fish. Of course, like many fishes, this species suffered over the years from a lot of taxonomic reshuffling, and it's been known by the pseudonyms Acanthopthalamus culiae, Cobitis culiae, a real mess. The species name is an homage to a zoologist named Heinrich Kuhl, who was an interesting character who died way too young and made a lot of discoveries, and one can only imagine the discoveries he could have made had he lived longer. Uh, you should look him up one time, it's interesting stuff. Oh, and there's a bunch of very similar appearing species which we're probably familiar with or have seen at one time or another, simply to add to the confusion. Uh, Pangio culiae may be, you know, actually a species complex, and commonly used synonyms include Acanthopolymus culiae. Acanthopholomus uh, semisinctus and Pangio semisincta. Confusion. And even the names are hard to pronounce, but hey, I'm doing well today. I'm actually pronouncing them right, so I'm gonna roll. And hobbyists being hobbyists, we're, we've lazily referred to this fish as the coolie loach for generations, C-O-O-L-I-E. Because, well, because we're lazy and because apparently it's easier to spell coolie with a C than it is to spell it correctly, you know, the K-U-H-L-I for some reason. I guess it just is. No respect, Professor Cooley. 
or cool, excuse me. Anyway, <laughs> the, the meaning of the genus Acanthopalmus is thorn or prickle eye, which is named after a spine beneath each one of the fish's eyes. A sort of strong homage to the anatomical you know, protection afforded them for their habitat of burrowing into those soft substrates like sand, mud, and leaf litter. All sounds good. So what in our world doesn't love, you know, a fish that are morphologically adapted to burrowing into leaf litter. I said, "What? Who? Who doesn't? Who doesn't love that? Why am I? Why am I talking this way? I don't know. It's late in the day, and I'm doing my podcast during the day instead. Crazy. Now, the burrowing habits of this fish don't endear them to everyone, of course. Planted tank people are anything but excited about you know the roots of their precious plant specimens being exposed, and these guys tend to be rather nocturnal in nature, so you're likely only to catch glimpses of them most days." You often see them comically and kind of endearingly buried in the substrates with only their heads poking up. Oh, and they're a bitch to net. Don't believe me? Ask anyone who's ever worked at a local fish store whose job it was to catch these little wiggly little bastards. They're, they're tough. Now, coolies are great. They're social gregarious fishes. They're shoaling fishes more specifically. Interestingly, they categorically are best kept in groups. In fact, I wouldn't even consider keeping this fish if you don't have the ability to accommodate at least four to five of them, or more beneficially, up to a dozen or more. Gregarious, yep. However, they're not fishes that you're likely to see out at all hours of the day in a brightly lit aquarium, dancing in the current or rushing to the front glass in search of food for everybody to see. This reclusive behavior makes them a fish that really, truly deserves an aquarium of its own. If sufficient food doesn't reach the bottom where they dwell, or if food sources aren't available within the substrate itself, these fishes can and will easily starve to death. Now, you may occasionally find one in the filter intake or overflow, waiting for you to rescue it. This happens a lot. If you keep coolies, if you've ever kept them, you know. This is a typical occurrence with these guys, and a very sure indicator that some heavy-duty loach playing was going on, loach partying even, was going on the night before. Checking these weird spaces each morning is just part of the daily ritual that you have to do when you keep these guys. Oh, when we're talking about the coolies morphology and how to take advantage of it, let's take a second to whack us hobbyists upside the head one more time. For some bizarre reason, reason, this fish is popularly relegated to the old role of scavenger. Like, what the fuck? Does every fish with reclusive nature, bottom-dwelling habits, and nocturnal preferences have to be branded a scavenger? In the wild, they tend to eat small crustaceans, insect larvae, and sometimes fish eggs. A similar diet to many other fishes that we don't anoint as scavengers, right? Like, for example, tetras. I mean, are cardinal tetras scavengers? Damn, what the hell's wrong with us? Now, granted, They'll often ingest a bit of substrate to sift through, you know, for crustaceans and stuff. But this benthic feeding behavior does not mean that coolie loaches are scavengers. So stop thinking of them like that. Just don't purchase these fishes with the intent of utilizing them to keep the tank clean. That's not the fish's responsibility. It's yours. And you have a damn siphon hose for that. Don't like that responsibility? Well, cool. Just take up collecting sneakers or Pokemon cards or something. Okay, deep breath, Felman. Rant over. Of course, I'm fascinated by this fish, but I'm even more fascinated by its environment. I know that surprises many of you, right? Of course, the habitats from which our fishes come from always seem to dictate their morphology, don't they? So you can learn a lot about a fish by simply learning about its habitat. Now, geographically, the fish has been collected from a broad range of locales, as wide, you know, widespread as Indonesia and Malaysia. Oh, and Thailand. In fact, I even stumbled on a work entitled Peat Swamp Fishes of Thailand from 2002, which referenced its occurrences there. Kind of cool. The environments that this fish are, is found in are many and varied. Uh, in fact, Fish Face, which is a great resource, as we all know, uh, references hill streams to lowland forest canals and peats. Of course, the peats part fascinates me, a reference to the peat swamp forest that we 
you know, discussed before, an almost irresistible subject for a proper botanical style aquarium, right? And as we all know, the substrates in many of our fish's habitats directly influence the chemical environment. Of course, the habitat of the coolies is no exception. My research revealed that the fish is found in water with a pH range from 5.5 to 6.5 in the type localities where it's collected. It's also interesting to note that it comes from shallow sandy streams with fine cobbled rocks and a few branches and leaves. Here we go, leaves. It seems like there's always leaves, right? Yeah. Anyway, I think the real fun with these fishes can be had when we make the attempt to replicate as many aspects of their natural habitat as possible, specifically the substrates. In peat swamps, the peat layers may be well in excess of three feet, it's a meter, deep. The floodplain forests are found along rivers, streams, coasts, and lakes, and the seasonal flooding inundating the forest for short periods of time leads to an influx of sediment and mineral enrichment during the high water periods. These soils are best replicated using non-traditional substrates like coconut-based materials, finely crushed botanicals, mud, sediments, and of course, peat if you can find a sustainable source of it. And I also feel strongly uh, that the coolie, like many fishes with a benthic lifestyle, can benefit from being kept in an aquarium designed and configured to provide feeding opportunities within the system itself to supplement any foods that we're offering. Many fishes like headstanders, kerosens, and others simply consume tiny crustaceans as part of their sediment feeding activity. Now, we're more likely to set up aquariums with fine silty sediments stocked with tons of copepods and worms and such. And, you know, I think that's kind of interesting because we can do this now. We haven't been able to do that in years past or we haven't thought to do it. So these experiments may yield very interesting results. It's absolutely possible to create a real active substrate, just like they do in the terrarium world, right? Filled with these creatures and to be able to pre-stock it with cultures of small life forms prior to the introduction of fishes. You know, and of course, there are ways to replenish the population of these creatures, even replenishing the substrate itself, in fact, resulting in extremely productive systems too. Something worth studying. It's an interesting sub-hobby, actually. An interesting experiment to think about, isn't it? Even more interesting to actually execute. Such a system with heavy substrate-centric focus can be successfully managed long-term, resulting in a terrific environment for the coolies and for others. And of course, the whole idea of a rich sediment, sand, and soil substrate enriched with botanical materials is completely in line with best practices that we've developed here as a community to create these dynamic botanical-style aquariums. In our case, not only will there be an abundance of trace elements and essential plant nutrients and so forth, there'll be the addition of tannins and humic substances, which may provide known benefits for the fishes as well. It's the best of both worlds. Very interesting stuff. Now, sure, the tank will probably have some suspended material in it because these fishes are blow out of the substrate at all times. Water may not be 100% crystal clear because coolies benthic habits. It goes with the territory, and it's simply something we need to understand and appreciate when we're going a more natural route. Uh, these dynamic habitats are not difficult to replicate in the aquarium. We've played with them for a while in this community, haven't we? We just need to understand that they play a functional and aesthetic role in the overall aquarium, as we've touched on many, many times here. Realizing that placing leaves and botanical materials on the bottom of the aquarium is not simply making an aesthetic statement, rather, it's an homage to the function of the dynamic of these habitats that we love so much. I'm 100% certain that this is the key to keeping fishes like our friends the coolie loach extremely happy for extended periods of time. To me, that's the most amazing part about keeping the fishes of my childhood. Merging the excitement and fascination they bring with the art and science of providing as accurate a representation of their natural habitat as possible. Doesn't that sound cool? It does to me. Stay creative, stay studious, stay persistent, stay observant, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.